0: Do you struggle with concentration? Have you ever thought of your brain health long-term? Bomar Nutrition is revolutionizing the nootropic and cognitive health industry with Sharp nootropic powder and patent-pending Bright Daily Capsules, powered by Neurobloom. If you struggle with focusing, think of Sharp as brain food that supports concentration. Sharp works with your natural brain chemistry to provide a heightened sense of well being that can delay cognitive decline and also increase mood. Bomar Sharp tastes amazing and comes in many different flavors available in caffeinated and non-caffeinated versions. While SHARP is a short-term aid in cognitive health, think of Bright Daily Capsules as a way to improve overall brain health and prevent cognitive decline long-term. As we age, so does our brain. Supplementing with Bright has the potential to delay this aging process and helps your brain function optimally. Stay ahead of the curve and order yours today at bomarnutrition.com and save $5 off with code GENIUS5.
2: He's the uh, S. Frank and Doris Culberson Distinguished Professor at North Carolina State University. And his uh, partner here is Nathan Crook. Uh, Nathan has the Crook Lab. Uh, They they work with uh, computational genetic engineering techniques. Orland's work has to do with uh, colloids and electric fields, et cetera. But what I want to talk about with both of them today actually is microplastics and uh, where they're showing up in the ocean and how to remediate them. So even though their research... Uh, overlaps some it overlaps with this topic some it is also different uh, that's the topic for today so welcome orlin and uh, welcome nathan thank you
3: thank you thank you rich
2: yeah orlin if you would first just give me a little bit about your background and then um how you got involved with microplastics and then i want to ask nathan the same thing
3: well uh thank you very much for contacting us and uh, we're really excited to share our experience um which in this case is uh, multidisciplinary uh, in the sense that uh, Nathan and I uh, and, and the team of other uh, researchers are trying to address the issue of microplastics by really bringing in new ideas and uh, new expertise from different research areas. So my research area is colloidal science, which means particles, surfactants, uh, many of those are used in foams and consumer products. We have been doing quite a bit of research on nanomaterials also uh, related to particles and nanoparticles and different types of similar materials. And um, realizing the importance of the uh, microplastics for the environment, that is the negative importance in this case, the, the, the very detrimental impact. Uh, our team of uh, professors really tried to address the issue by bringing in expertise from our corresponding areas. My expertise is how do you capture cooidal particles from water. Uh, they are dispersed. They do not want to separate that easily. You cannot take all the water from the sea and filter it or centrifuge it, which would be the most common way of doing this. Hence, we're trying to develop right now the so-called microcleaners, which is special type of particles that capture the microplastics. So that's how we came to this field, and and this is what we're trying to do.
2: Okay, Nathan, uh, tell me a bit about your background and how you came to this field as well, please.
4: Right, yeah. So, I mean, I'm a professor in chemical engineering in the same... actually right next door to Orland in our, in our building. And so um, what, what happened was there was a call from the NSF uh, for this emerging frontiers, in research and innovation, Effrey right so it's a grant call on the problem of microplastics. And so we were, you know, just chatting about things one day. And we realized that us in our in in our department and a few others at Cornell had sort of this expertise, this multidisciplinary expertise that Orland was referring to. Uh, we can capture the microplastics, we can bind to the microplastics, potentially even degrade the microplastics and convert them into something a bit more valuable. Um, and so this was probably about two years ago, and we're well in, on
2: our way to, to doing that with our, with our team. Okay, so um, you're focusing on microplastics in the ocean?
4: Yeah, that's been our focus so far. But I th- we think that a lot of the things we're looking for could have uh, generality to freshwater or even maybe terrestrial microplastics as well.
2: You know, I've walked by lakes and streams, and I see plenty of big plastics, you know, on the side of the lake or the stream. Um, in the ocean, how do uh, plastics manifest? Are there a lot more microplastics than large plastics? And, and where do they tend to go in the ocean and aggregate?
3: Well, so you're kind of like, I mean, your um, explanation of how you see plastics in water is actually explains the problem, where the problem comes from. Um, if you have a, a large body of plastics, of, of, of polymeric material, that has been discarded in water or in places where the water runs off, Um, you're going to have slow degradation of this material into smaller and smaller particles. That is, the big plastic object, polymer object, is going to start degrading, and then it is going to start cracking. And as it cracks, it is going to start releasing particles. And as those particles are being driven around by the water, they're going to keep degrading into smaller and smaller particles. But from the perspective of science, what happens in this case is, you're increasing tremendously the surface area of this material. So you have a big plastic object. Well, that's not that much of a problem. But when you make it into those small particles, now we have a tremendously small um, uh, particles that have very large surface area. They can uh, kind of diffuse all around. They can penetrate, uh, seal uh, life. Uh, so that's what makes the microplastics project uh, so ubiquitous. Just because these particles are really becoming all around us, and that's not good.
2: Well, where are they found? Are they found in sea life, or are they found uh, uh, where?
4: I think most places where people have looked, they've they found them. They found them in in the air, depositing on pristine. Land that has very little human activity, they found them in people's lungs and in, in in the bloodstream, even if you pour hot water into a plastic cup, the cup will just release particles into that cup and you'll ingest them so they are kind of difficult to avoid um and related to the size they they span from the macro plastics like you can see with your eye all the way down right and and the difficulty is is measuring things. At that very small scale, so every time people find an, a better way to detect them they 'll find them at that smaller smaller size range, which really is a bit little bit scary
2: so i 've heard this nanoplastics i know it 's just a name, but what is the smallest size plastic uh, elements that have been found inside an organism
3: well, well typically uh, just using the scientific terminology you 're going to have microplastics is going to be particles which are going to be larger than a micron in size. Uh, This is particles that you can see with a microscope. And nanoplastics are going to be particles that are smaller than a micron, something like on the order of 100 nanometers or less. They go in size closer to the polymer molecules. Basically, these are not different units because what happens is, is that the large polymer body begins breaking down, and thus it breaks down it breaks down into particles and then these particles break down into smaller particles. So you have the size scale going from millimeter size to micrometer size, and then nanoscale size. Um, Right now, microplastics are considered to be the biggest problem just because they are easiest to detect uh, and and ubiquitous. Uh, Once they degrade to nanoplastics, there are different ways in which the nature can get rid of, of, of the final small particles. Uh, small particles, on the other hand, can be more uh, detrimental to health. So it's a little bit uh, kind of gray area still undetermined, which is the most dangerous component. But definitely, we do not want polymer particles in our water.
2: How long do you think it takes a, a plastic bottle to degrade to a certain size of microplastics, right? I've interviewed a number of people that work in this field and no one seems to know. Are there studies with like rock tumblers or... You know, in lab experiments where you put seawater in a bottle and slosh it around until it breaks down, or have people been able to figure this out? Uh,
3: this is a very good question because actually we have another project where we are beginning to try to understand uh, how what happens during the breakdown of so-called non-wovens, and the non-wovens are actually the basics of uh, the virus, the typical surgical virus uh, protection masks. Uh, which, if you notice, are made of uh, polymer fibers and they're being discarded immediately after use. So we are right now investigating that. Uh, there are many other groups, of course, which, who, who are, investigating, which are investigating this problem. As it happens, it takes something on the order of days, probably, for the material to degrade. And one of the most uh, potent factors in the degradation are the UV uh, rays that come from the sun. So essentially the polymer being dispersed in the water is going to absorb the uh, UV rays from the sun and those UV rays are going to start breaking down chemically the polymer. And thus it breaks down, it cannot hold in one piece uh, anymore and then it starts releasing those particles. A- and the same happens with, for example, any face mass that would be thrown in the in the in the sea, it is going to generate tremendous amount of small polymer particles after the fibers of which it is made degrade.
2: Okay, yeah. but so you think I, this it happens in a couple of days? Or how long do you think
3: It really
4: depends on the size of of the plastic. So for things very tiny, like very small fibers, it it might be true that that that's in the order of a couple of days. If it's something larger, like a plastic bottle, like you were saying, it could, you know, months, months to years, right. And it depends like Orlin was saying on the, on the UV, the environmental exposures, right. If it's uh, exposed to the sun, you're going to see UV damage chemically modifying the polymers into something that's more accessible to biology, um, more prone to cracking too. The, in the lab, if if you're trying to develop a bug like a microbe that can degrade plastics, you'll often see studies where under their optimized conditions, their bug can take a very extremely thin polyethylene terephthalate film, so like the um a particular type of plastic, and they'll they'll break it down a little bit in say like a several months, right? So this is uh, you know a, a very slow process from bio from biology alone. It's um, just don't, they don't have the machinery to degrade to, to these things.
3: Yes, what Nathan uh, mentions is actually one of the reasons why we have in our team. So we have people who understand biology like him, people who understand coicoidal co- co- particles uh, like uh, Professor Nick Abbott, uh, who is also a collaborator, and myself. We even have an artificial intelligence expert uh, because those, uh, the transformations of those particles are very complex. They involve biological species in the ocean. So once the, the, the polymer starts degrading, uh, life species are going to start to find their way. They're going to start growing its surface. They may protect it even from from degrading quickly, uh, but that not, does not necessarily mean that the microplastics at the end are not going to be generated or, or, or not going to be dangerous.
4: Yeah, there's a lot of question marks in this whole process. Uh, it, it, a lot of stuff we don't know.
2: Well, in terms of uh, a surface chemistry or material science, um, do microplastics tend to have a net aggregate positive or negative charge? Is it a large charge? Are there certain morphologies that certain plastics break into that have very sharp points with very high charge amounts, etc.?
3: This is an excellent question. This question actually captures to a large extent a big portion of the science in our project. Uh, because if you want to understand how to remove those particles, you have to understand how to coagulate them. That is how to make them come together and, and be separated. And they do not want to do that because they become charged. The typical charge of a polymer is negative charge, but depending on the polymer, you can also have positive charges. Then you can have absorption of biomolecules. You can have absorption of surfactants. Then you can have the formation of a biofilm growing on top. And all of those change the interactions between the particles. And in order to separate the particles, one needs to understand the interactions. So charge is not good because charge keeps them stable. And surfactants are not good because they also keep them stable. Biofilms may or may not be good. Biofilms may help degradation, but they may also stabilize them. And um, you can see that probably the big variety of science problems that emerge and why people from different backgrounds are really needed to try to consider this problem.
0: Do you struggle with concentration? Have you ever thought of your brain health long term? Bomar Nutrition is revolutionizing the nootropic and cognitive health industry with sharp nootropic powder and patent-pending Bright Daily Capsules, powered by Neurobloom. If you struggle with focusing, think of sharp as brain food that supports concentration. Sharp works with your natural brain chemistry to provide a heightened sense of well-being that can delay cognitive decline and also increase mood. Bomar Sharp tastes amazing and comes in many different flavors, available in caffeinated and non-caffeinated versions. While Sharp is a short-term aid in cognitive health, think of Bright Daily Capsules as a way to improve overall brain health and prevent cognitive decline long-term. As we age, so does our brain. Supplementing with Bright has the potential to delay this aging process and helps your brain function optimally. Stay ahead of the curve and order yours today at bomarnutrition.com and save $5 off with code GENIUS5.
2: So what Orin says is, y- yes, definitely, the, uh, the microplastics have charge, typically negative. There's biofilms, et cetera. Um, with biofilms, with different types of plastic, has anyone looked to see that, oh, plastic number two has... Staphylococcus aureus on it, and plastic number six has, you know, Bifido, whatever. Are there certain bacteria that have been correlated with different plastics? And, you know, any variation in biofilms or interesting facets of them that you guys discovered?
4: I have not seen research to that effect. I think it's one of the things that we were uh, excited to do in this project is to figure that that sort of thing out. Um, I do know that on the bulk microplastics in general, people have looked at the microbiomes of those of those plastics but once you had went back upon collection of those microplastics and uh then sorting them based on their their chem- underlying chemistry and then doing the sequencing to identify who is there i don't think that has been done yet um i could i could 100% be wrong in that regard however one of the i do know one of the um thoughts as to why biofilms are forming on there is just as a you know as a, as a solid support biology likes to have a solid support in the in the oceans so they can have a place to Place to live and obtain nutrients. And that's, prim- that's a lot of what's going on on, the, on these particles too.
2: Our bacteria—do they tend to be negatively or positively charged? Is there a reason why they're attracted to these plastics? So they just a you know a site for a biofilm to nucleate, or is there nutrition actually gained from eating the plastics?
4: From what is currently known, it's mostly as a solid support. There's um, very little. That is thought to be available to, the, to biology in, out in the ocean. That the, the reason why I say that is because we simply don't have a, lo, a large catalog of enzymes that can degrade these particles. If they're if these bacteria were able to degrade them um, to a large extent, then we probably would know more about their enzymes involved. The enzymes that we currently have, have have only been recently discovered from from landfills. It's sort of something that nature hasn't had a lot of time to evolve to. To, to consume, and which is why um, it's, a, it's a bit of a difficult thing to engineer. It's because we don't have the, the professional enzymes to turn to. We have to sort of develop our own.
2: Okay. So w- what is the focus of, are you guys strongest in the material science aspects of it, or how are you in particular studying and contributing to the understanding of
3: microplastics? My- uh, so, so maybe I can try to give an overview of our project, essentially why, and again, why do we need this multidisciplinary team? The goal of our project is to develop this basic exploratory understanding of how one can develop a process where microplastics can be collected and reprocessed into something useful and out of the environment in a way that would allow a life cycle of essentially continuous uh, microplastics collection and elimination from the seawater and from similar type of um, uh, water reservoirs uh so essentially we began with a few basic i think uh, basic reasonings that that apply to the system that we cannot filter all the water we cannot centrifuge all the water uh we have to remove the microplastics but we have to remove it in a way which is safe and benign and then we have to do something with the microplastics that we collect so that's why we came up with the idea of having these micro cleaners which will be made out of a biopolymer. Uh, the microcleaners are what we're developing in my group and what is developed in the group of my colleague, Nick Abbott. Uh, these microcleaners are going to collect the microplastics, float up, be collected as come from the surface of the sea. Then we can have biological reprocessing of this material. Into more of the biopolymer that then can be used to collect microcleaners. So hopefully we can have a closed cool cycle process where the microplastics is used to produce its own biological microcleaners, and in, in, in this way uh, we can make a sustainable process for cleaning up uh, of, 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 of the polymer material from the sea. Uh, of course, our project is very exploratory. We want to develop the principles that then can be used in, in practice.
2: In the ocean, do um, do microplastics tend to float on the surface or do they sink?
4: The short answer is they do both. I think it depends on some some plastics are heavier than water and some are, are lighter. And even if they're heavier, if they do get colonized by a biofilm and that biofilm generates gas, then they'll float. Um, I, I well, one of the difficulties is sampling the plastics at a at a depth to see how far they they go down.
2: So what is the effect of, um, have, you, have you looked at microplastics in fresh water or brackish water versus ocean, you know, the salt? How does that appear to affect, does it hasten, the degradation, does it affect the bacteria,
3: et cetera? This is a very important problem. We are actually addressing this problem into in our other project where we are trying to understand how microplastics are being produced. So essentially, we're following the breakdown of uh, the material from face masks in salty water and, uh, and fresh water type of uh, environment and under different temperatures and different UV conditions. And we see a significant difference. Uh, so salt, salt water and UV are definitely contributing a lot to the breakdown of the polymer into uh, those particles. And this is not good. And this is what would happen when you have all the polymers that are discarded in the water. Uh, Typically, they are slightly less than the water would flow up near the surface in salty water, a drop UV light, get degraded, generate all those thousands of particles. That is not thousands, but billions and billions of particles. The top layer of uh, the sea is where you also have lots of uh, life Um, uh, that is sea life living and in many cases can be bacteria and microbes, but still important. And that contributes to the complexity of the problem. What is noticed about
2: the plastics that will sit on the surface versus the ones that sink? I think the ones on the surface are going to be exposed to a lot more churn. UV, they'll fall apart faster, their average size will get smaller faster versus stuff that sinks, right?
3: This is definitely the expectation in what we have been finding some preliminary results and then obviously other people have been investigating quite a bit, still a topic that uh, requires lots of research because the system is so complex. This by the way is one of the reasons, especially when it comes to biological interactions and reprocessing is why we would like to involve artificial intelligence, machine learning into the whole process because it is really very complex and kind of modeling it in a very simple way, in some cases may not be possible. Have you
2: guys been able to visit the Pacific Garbage Patch or any of those patches? Have you been able to go out there?
3: We, we're actually working with a few of the institutions here in North Carolina, which are studying the microplastics, uh, so-called Plastics Ocean Project. Uh, and um, we have been receiving samples from them. We're really chemical engineers, and um, our do- domain is not necessarily the seawater. But uh, we're cooperating with people who are doing, um, who are doing the job, and then we kind of like seeing what they have collected, and it looks pretty ugly and scary.
2: Okay, that would be a good good Christmas gift just to send you guys on a trip out to the garbage patch. all expenses paid. <laughs> You'd probably like that. <laughs>
3: Our graduate students have been virtually <laughs> kind of having those trips to essentially bring the garbage in from our colleagues in the Plastics Ocean project and then have been investigating this in the electron microscopy and so on. And you see pretty ugly particles. So um, you can say that um, we have graduate students who are happy to be doing a, a project related to garbage, but that's important. Okay um what's the
2: best way for people to find out more about your work and to keep tabs? Where can they go
3: well one of
4: the one of the most direct ways would be to uh, visit the the websites of our respective research groups, of course, Roland Envelope has his research website. I have my own where we can we'll, we'll be publishing our our work in in this area um, another way would 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 be to would be to reach out to us. I know both of our emails are on our website to to hear more about it but in terms of the realm in, in which for genetic engineering and, and stuff, um, there's a lot of work coming out recently in terms of engineering microbes to, to degrade these. And so searching simply on Google for engineered plastic degrading microbes will result in hits that, that change, you know, every month, right? More groups are coming out with this sort of thing. So it's a rapidly changing field.
3: Um, our team is also presently preparing, um, Perspective paper, which motivates exactly the uh, topics that we are discussing, explains why we are pro- having the approach that we are uh, adopting in this project um, uh, for the American Institute of Chemical Engineering Journal, where we would like to put it all together. Hopefully, that would be published within kind of like not too far uh, in the future. And of course, we're going to be publishing our research results. So that, again, multidisciplinary perspective is important from our side, just because there is no single discipline that can uh, address all the complexity uh, of this very big problem.
2: Well, very good, Oren. Nathan, it's been a really cool call. I appreciate you guys coming. and Thank you so much.
4: Thank you for having us. This is a pleasure for us, too. Thank you, Rich.
0: Do you struggle with concentration? Have you ever thought of your brain health long-term? Bomar Nutrition is revolutionizing the nootropic and cognitive health industry with Sharp nootropic powder and patent-pending Bright Daily Capsules, powered by Neurobloom. If you struggle with focusing, think of Sharp as brain food that supports concentration. Sharp works with your natural brain chemistry to provide a heightened sense of well-being that can delay cognitive decline and also increase mood. Bomar Sharp tastes amazing and comes in many different flavors available in caffeinated and non-caffeinated versions. While SHARP is a short-term aid in cognitive health, think of Bright Daily Capsules as a way to improve overall brain health and prevent cognitive decline long-term. As we age, so does our brain. Supplementing with Bright has the potential to delay this aging process and helps your brain function optimally. Stay ahead of the curve and order yours today at bomarnutrition.com and save $5 off with code GENIUS5.